sing, buddy. At this time, the kids are dismissed for Children's Church. The rest of you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Uh, once again, I know we were there last week, but we're going to be there again this week. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a story about an elderly man who was uh, in his deathbed. And he is, uh, he's just living in his last moments, and all of a sudden he smells the aroma of his favorite food in the world, chocolate chip cookies. And it's just wafting up the stairs into his room. And he gathered his remaining strength and he lifted himself from the bed. And he makes his way down the hallway and he holds on to the rails, leaning up against them and, and, and goes downstairs. And, and it's incredible effort just to get there. And he forced himself down the stairs and he gets just outside the kitchen and he sees the, the cookies that are on the counter. And he's like, I know, I, is, this, is this heaven or, or is my wife just doing one final act of love before before I, uh, before I kick the bucket. And so he musters up the strength and he goes into the kitchen and he reaches for a cookie and his wife smacks him on the hand with a spatula and says, don't touch those, those are for the funeral. <laughs> now, that is not unfailing love. That is not unconditional love whatsoever. That's just downright wrong if you ask me. Uh, but today, we are concluding our series, Unfailing. And we, over the last several weeks, we have talked about um, what, just what love is in general and, and God's love for us and our love for God. And today, we want to take a look at uh, how we are to love one another, uh, how we are to love our, our, our neighbor. Um, Mark chapter 12, it begins with verse, uh, our text for today is at verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And the teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one, uh, one God and, and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart, all my understanding, all my strength, and love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. And then verse 34, it says, realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said this to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And so this, this person who is asking these questions, this is someone who's, who's uh, uh, hanging out with all the other teachers of the law, and, and he's asking this question in kind of an antagonistic way toward Jesus. Remember we talked about last week how they were always trying to trap Jesus. They were always trying to discredit Jesus and make it look like he was false. And, 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 uh, and so they're trying to trap him with these questions. And, and we talked last week about how the Jewish rabbis had 613 different laws. 
right, that they had to learn. And so there's all these different laws, but then there were another 1,400 oral commandments that they made up. So there's 2,000 different things that these guys have got to remember, and so they're testing Jesus on this. And so Jesus responds, first of all, by quoting from Deuteronomy 6 about loving God first, and then he combined it with Leviticus 19 about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus establishes first who God is. He's the one true living God, and you got to love him with everything that you have, everything that you are. And then he revealed that the next thing, right, that just as important, the next main thing that God expects of us, In other words, if you could somehow enter into the throne room of heaven right now and you could approach God, you could kneel before his throne and ask him, God, what is the main thing that you expect from us today? He would say, I want you to love me with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And if you said, okay, I got that, he would follow that up quickly by saying, there's one more thing. I want you to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Now, that's not, that's not always easy, is it, to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, all right? And so Jesus is talking about really three levels of love here, right? He's saying, okay, loving yourself, loving others, and loving God. To me, it's kind of like climbing a ladder. You've got to start on the bottom rung before you can start off at the top. A lot of us like to start off at the top. We want the shortcut, right? I was told a long time ago, the only job that starts at the top is a grave digger. Right? You, you, you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. And, and, and here's the deal. I don't think that we can truly love others, and I don't think we can truly love God until we understand what it means to love ourselves. And, and that's where we've, you know, I think where a lot of people have to start. We have to understand that I am free to love myself when I start to see myself as God sees me. The problem is a lot of us see ourselves as we see ourselves or as others label us and see ourselves, but I think when we learn to see ourselves as God sees us, then that starts to change how we can love God and how we can love other people, right? And a lot of you sitting out there might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Oh, the Bible says I'm supposed to deny myself. Didn't Jesus tell me take up my cross and die? Now you're telling me i got to love myself? I'm kind of confused. Well, that old selfish sinful nature that used to claim your life, it needs to be crucified. It needs to be buried with Christ. But I'm talking about who you are right now. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't make that up. That's that's in the Bible. Jesus himself said it. And so I think part of the problem with a lot of people in our churches, a lot of the problem with people in our society today is that they don't have a healthy view of themselves. Right? You don't have a healthy view of who you are in Christ. You don't have a healthy view of, of the masterpiece that God created you to be. How many of you got up this morning and you looked at yourself in the mirror before you left your house? Raise your hand if you, if you looked at yourself in the mirror. When you saw that person looking back at you in the mirror, what did you think about that person? Did you look at their eyes? Did you, or did you look at your eyes? Did you look at your face? Did you look at your clothes? Did you look at your hair? A couple of you didn't. I know. I understand. But, but most of you did. 
right? Did you, did you think, man, how old do I look right now? Like, like I didn't used to think this, and, and, I didn't, and, and, then, and then I lost some weight, and then I got this little gobbler thing that hangs from my chin where there used to be like fat, like another chin, and now there's just like this skin. And sometimes I look at myself, I'm like, dude, I'm old. You know, and, 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 or, you know, some of us look and we say, I, I don't like my body image. I'm overweight, you know. Were you happy with the person in the mirror looking back at you? I think among Christians, there's a couple of self-image mistakes that we can make on this issue. I think the first one is this. The first one is we, we have an inferiority complex, right? That's actually a, a psychological term that Alfred Adler uh, came up with a long time ago to describe people who look around them and they think that everybody else around them is better than them. They're better than them. They're prettier than them. They're stronger than them. They're smarter than them. And I think a lot of Christians feel worthless. I think, I think a lot of Christians feel unworthy. See, the Bible calls the devil an accuser, right? That's what, that, that's what he wants to do. And he wants to constantly put us on this, this guilt trip of thinking that you're too filthy. You're too messed up. What you've done in the past can never be forgiven. You are less than a human. And so you don't deserve to be loved. You're too wicked to matter to God. That's what the devil is trying to say to everyone in this room. I think, I think the devil was behind the Linda Ronstadt lyrics back of the song, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. You remember that? Was that Linda Ronstadt? Maybe, right? You, okay, now I'm showing my age and I'm showing your age. Everybody that laughed, those of you who didn't laugh, you're like, who is Linda Ronstadt, right? But anyway, you remember the song, and that's what the devil is trying to say to us every single day. You're no good, you're not worth it. And then we have the opposite end of the spectrum. We have people who are too self-absorbed, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or a more theological term, a pompous jerk who only thinks about me, right? And I, I made that up because it sounded more descriptive than narcissistic. But that's where a lot of people land. You ever met someone who's in love with themselves? Yeah, right? There's a big difference between loving yourself and being in love with yourself. A person who is in love with themselves, they wake up in the morning and they go to the mirror and they sing in front of the mirror, how great thou art to themselves, you know? And, uh, you know, uh, now I think of the Carly Simon song, you're so vain, you know, you, <sighs> I'm old, dude. <laughs> Man, I start, I start quoting Hank Williams then I might as well just hang it up, right? But we've all met arrogant people. We've all met egotistical people who think they're better than someone else. And, and these people have just as much of a problem, maybe even more so than the people who feel unworthy, right? And they make everyone around them miserable because they're always talking about themselves and how great they are. Uh, the dear uh, Abby, Abigail, was it Van Buren? Is that her last name? Dear Abby, the columnist, she got a letter from a guy that went like this. He wrote, Dear Abby, I'm a guy who has everything. I'm smart and handsome. Women are always flocking around me and telling me how good looking I am and what a marvelous personality I have. I'm beginning to find this boring. How can I discourage these hopeful females? Signed, C.W. Abby wrote back, Dear C.W., just keep talking. <laughs> That'll get the job done. <laughs> 
of these two extremes, most of the Christians that I know, uh, they suffer from more on the side of inferiority. They feel worthless. It's hard to love themselves. And as Kendall talked about, this is a tough world. Uh, This is a harsh, harsh place. And there's a lot of people that are around you that just can't wait to tear you down. And I think it usually starts in school. You know, you think about in school and you get around people and they start to bully you on the playground. They still do that on the playground, but now they don't even have to be on the playground. They can do it from behind a keyboard and it doesn't stop in elementary school or junior high or senior high. It continues even on into adulthood. And people will bully one another and try to tear one another down. I don't know, I I remember when I was, uh, again, the 70s, I guess, there was a movie uh, on HBO called The Elephant Man. Has anybody ever seen this or heard this story about The Elephant Man? It was based on the true story of of a guy from England named John Merrick who suffered uh, all kinds of facial deformities and and, uh, probably from a a condition known as neurofibromatosis, right? He was orphaned at the age of 13. A little bit later on in his life, he got a job traveling as a part of a freak show. And uh, he was then introduced to a very kind physician who allowed him to live in the hospital in which he worked and then gave him an education, allowed him the opportunity to have an education. The movie is based on his life. And there's a moment in that movie where he is walking through the streets of London and a mob gathers around him and they rip off his hood and they start mocking him and they yell at him. And he says to them, I'm not an animal. I'm a man. Right? And I think that the problem with a lot of people is we're allowing Satan to play that same game with us and say, you're not worthy. You're not even good enough to be called a human. You're worthless. And we need to just stand up and look the devil in the eye and say, I'm not worthless. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I'm a child of God. And no matter what I might look like or what I might have or not have, or whatever I've done in my past, it doesn't matter. God has taken care of that. The Bible teaches us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not just one in a million. You are one in seven billion. Even more than that, when you think about all the people that's ever walked the face of the earth, I don't even know what that number is. But there's, what, about 7 billion on the earth right now. You're, at the very least, you're 1 in 7 billion. I mean, look at the end of your finger. You've got all these little, little waves on your skin that's called a fingerprint. And there's nobody else on this earth that has the same pattern that you have on the tip of your finger. You are unique. You are created by God. You are a masterpiece. Yes, we're all sinners. We've all blown it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But here's how God describes you in Romans chapter 8. So now, there is no condemnation. Because of what Jesus has done for you, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who dares accuse us, whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Jesus said the very hairs on your head are numbered. 
When God looks at you today, he knows you aren't perfect. But he loves you in spite of your flaws. Jeff Strite tells the story of when he was uh, at a minister's conference and the speaker said, God loves you, warts and all. And he had everyone turn to their neighbor and say, say that to your neighbor. And so he thought this was a pretty good idea. And so he goes back to his church on a Sunday morning back in Alabama and he did the same thing. He said, God loves you, warts and all. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Everybody did. And after the service, one gentleman comes up to him after the service, who was a good friend of his, and said, Pastor, when, he, when you had us turn to our neighbor and tell them that God loves them, warts and all, there was a guy sitting next to me that had a big old wart right here on his cheek. You know, I didn't know him, but I turned to him, and I saw this huge wart on his cheek, and I just said, God loves you. He really, really loves you. <laughs> so I'm not going to have you do that today, but understand this undeniable fact. God loves you in spite of your flaws. I don't care what you've done. He loves you. You'll never truly be able to love others until you understand that God loves you and you can love yourself because of God's great love for you. Now, second, I'm compelled to love others when I see them as loved by God, okay? So if you are loved by God, isn't it fair to look at the people that are in your life as loved by God? Even if you think they're more messed up than you are, Jesus said we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Luke's version of this conversation, the lawyer is looking for a loophole, right? And he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? He wanted Jesus to say, well, all of your brothers and sisters that are Jewish, those are your neighbors, right? But instead, Jesus responded by telling one of the greatest stories that's ever been written in the Bible about a guy who was on his uh, journey and he gets beaten and he's robbed and he's left half dead on the side of the road and a priest and a Levite pass him up. They don't help him. But then a Samaritan man, who is considered a half-breed, who was hated by the Jews, he stops and he helps the guy, right? And he dressed his wounds, he puts him on a donkey, took him to an inn, he left, left some money so that the man would be cared for. Then Jesus said to the guy, which of these three guys was a neighbor to the wounded man? The lawyer said, uh, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, bingo, you do the same thing. So I think sometimes we ask the wrong question. I think this guy was asking the wrong question. It's not, who's my neighbor? The right question is this, to whom can I be a neighbor to? Anyone that needs your love is your neighbor. The English word neighbor literally means near dweller. But when you look at the original Greek word, it has the meaning that, that anyone around you at any given time, in any circumstance, that's your neighbor. Or as I heard one preacher put it one time, you can't restrict your love to any race, any place, any case, or any space because love is all about grace. You might want to write that down. I put that on the screen. Is that on the screen? I didn't put that on the screen? Yeah, I did because that's good. Right there. Uh, I didn't come up with it, so I can say that's good stuff. We love others because God first loved us. And let's just be honest. Some people are a lot easier to love than others. Amen? 
We all know people who love us, who show us kindness, who are good to us, who are concerned about us. It's easy for us to love them, and we do that. We love them in return, but there's no grace in that kind of love, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. Right? I saw a Peanuts cartoon one time, and Lucy was saying to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown says to her, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy replies, I do have inner peace, but I have outer obnoxiousness. Do you know somebody that has outer obnoxiousness? Right? There are just some people. That are just wired that way. That yeah, They grate on your nerves, right? How many of you remember Will Rogers? Remember Will Rogers? Will Rogers said, I never met a man that I didn't like. Well, if I could talk to Will Rogers today, there's a few people I'd like to introduce him to. I think I could change his mind. Uh, someone said, Will Rogers never met Bobby Knight. That's terrible, isn't it? That's not very nice. But uh, anyway. But there's a lot of unlikable people in this world. For years, I used to think that there were some people who were unlovable. But I don't think we can use that term anymore. I think there are people who are unlovely. But there's nobody that's unlovable. Right? There are some people who are just hard to get along with. And sometimes they're Christians. There's a, a little poem that Wayne Smith uh, one of my favorite preachers of all time, he used to say this, to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory, but to live below with those we know, well, now that's another story. <laughs> Can you think of a person right now who you find very hard to love? Maybe you're tempted to think of four or five people. But I want you to just focus on one person, maybe that one person that you're really having a hard time loving. Maybe he or she has wronged you or hurt you. Think about that person right now. By the way, have you ever considered that maybe somebody is thinking that of you right now? I want you to imagine Jesus Christ walking up to you. In fact, just close your eyes for a moment. I didn't have planned to do that, but just kind of picture, if, if you don't mind, Jesus walking up to you and saying, would you please love this person for my sake? And now I want you to keep your eyes closed and picture Jesus on the cross saying, would you please love this person for my sake? You can open your eyes. You may be thinking, but I, you don't understand. I don't feel like loving that person. Well, the kind of love that the Bible is describing we're to have for other people has nothing to do with feels. It has nothing to do with emotion. It's a choice, not a feeling. We'll come back to that unlovely person here in just a moment. But here's the third thing as we begin to wrap this up today. I love God when obeying His when obeying him is the primary purpose of my life. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, 
He will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he'll come to me and make our home with him. That's what he says in John 14, 23. Here are four diagnostic questions to just answer a quick yes or no to when you think about whether you love God or not. One, do I love God or love slash obey God emotionally? Do I love him with my heart? Second, do I love or obey God willfully with my soul? Do I love and obey God intellectually with my mind? Do I love and obey God supremely with my strength? Now let's go back and consider that unlovely person or people that you might have thought about. Does Jesus love that person? Yeah. Then why don't you pray something like this? Jesus, I'm having a hard time loving that person, and I don't know if I can do it on my own. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, help me to love that person through your strength. What if I had the financial means to tell you that I would pay you $5 million if you would just pretend to love that person for the next 12 months? You think you could do it? You think that'd be enough motivation for you to do it? Well, our motivation comes from something that's worth more than a billion dollars. It's the satisfaction of knowing that someday when we leave this life, we're going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's worth more than all the money in the world. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this, and as I'm reading this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and get ready to lead us in a, in a closing uh, invitation song. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. I don't know, it's almost like we could narrow that down to fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> do the best you can, and you're going to find out as you're praying for this person and you're doing nice things for this person that eventually your heart and your mind might change toward this person. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all you've got. That's the highest level. But it starts, I think, with loving yourself before you can love others and before you can genuinely love God the way that, that, that he wants you to until you can start to see yourself as God sees you. I don't think any of this other stuff's going to happen the way that it's supposed to. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we stand here this morning, let me ask you. Do you love yourself enough today to allow God to love you? Do you love yourself enough today to allow God to come into your life through Jesus? Some of you need to make that decision today. Maybe some of you have already made that decision, but some of the junk of life has muddied the waters for you and you've just kind of lost, you've lost your way. Maybe you need to repent of that. You know, we've been following 
the Asbury Revival some. I know a lot of you have as well. And, and um, I heard uh, Kyle Eidelman say that every great revival contains two main things. Repentance and reconciliation. And I believe God's already doing something special in this place. I feel it. But there might be some that need to repent today. Maybe there's some stuff going on in your life that, you know, I I don't want you to have to publicly get up here and blab all your dirty little secrets to everybody. But there might be some things that, that are in your life you just need to throw away and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm turning away from that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I love you enough to lay this down and follow you. Maybe there are some here today that just need a church family. You've already been baptized into Christ and you're living as best you can for Him. But you just need some help. You need a family to come around you and and love you and, and help you grow in the Lord. We'd love to be that family for you. If you're watching online and you want to reach out, just text the word READY to our church connection number that you see on the screen. We'd love to reach out to you and talk to you about uh, what you need to do. But if you have a need, would you come today? Let's, Let's pray.